we are going to be considering the death of Moses. Those of you who are really quick on the trigger might figure out that this ends our study of the life of Moses. And uh, this will bring us to a conclusion. Uh, next Sunday, Pastor Heller is going to be preaching in the evening. Uh, I'm going to be at Pinebrook. And the Sunday after that is Fellowship Sunday. And so then uh, the third Sunday, I'm going to be beginning a new series. I've been in the Old Testament quite a bit on Sunday nights. So I'm going to move to the Beatitudes in uh, Sunday night, uh, starting in three weeks. If you remember, we looked at Moses' great sin in preparation for tonight's message on his death. And if you remember, that great sin was when they were in Meribah. They did not have any water. God told uh, Moses to speak to the rock, and he struck the rock. But even more significant than that, according to the psalmist, were the rash words that Moses spoke. And those rash words were to describe the people as rebels when he himself had thought many of the same things that they had thought. For the passage said that he had failed to believe. He had failed to trust in God uh, prior to God speaking to him and telling him to speak to the rock. And then secondly, the passage said that he misrepresented God. That uh, he failed to reveal God for who he was. God is long patient. God is long suffering. But Moses took things literally into his own hands. And again, he rebuked the people. He was impatient where God had been patient with Moses and God had been patient with the people. So God said, because he had taken too much upon himself and said that he and Aaron were providing this water that flowed from the rock, God said that Moses would not be able to lead the children of Israel to the promised land. He was going to demonstrate the fact that he didn't need Moses to accomplish their entrance into the promised land. They had overblown the importance of Moses and he allowed that to happen. So God is going to bring things back into perspective and show that Moses was not necessary. The flip side of that is that he is not to be underestimated. We, not to be overvalued, as though he were indispensable to the work of God. But he was not to be underestimated. God used him in a mighty way. And he was the greatest prophet and uh, Old Testament saint. Uh, he is referred to by far the most in the New Testament. He was an outstanding person. With that in mind, we begin with Numbers 12, verse 3. And those of you who just took the Sunday school class in Deuteronomy, much of this is going to look familiar uh, because we went over this passage. But I've added a few thoughts for this evening as well. But we begin with Numbers 12.3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Now that's quite a statement. The most humble man on the face of the earth. No one more humble than Moses. Last week, I said that the actions of Moses were out of character. And the reason they were out of character is because he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. So you would not expect Moses to have acted out of pride and resentment. You wouldn't have expected that Moses would want to 
draw attention to himself, being the most humble man on the face of the earth. But that in itself is a lesson for us tonight. And that is the best of men are not without sin. The most godly individual that you can find is not sinless. We all fail and disappoint at some time. If you're going to put your trust in a person, at some point you're going to be disappointed. They're not going to live up to your expectations. I don't care who they are. All of us sin from time to time. And here is Moses, and he committed this sin, which kept him out of the promised land. I asked last week the question, was the punishment greater than the crime? And I demonstrated that it was appropriate, because it was in keeping with the crime, that he was taking credit for leading the children out of the land of Egypt, and providing for them, so God is showing that he can do this without Moses' help. So it was in keeping. But even more than that, even more than that, the scripture teaches us that to whom much is given, much is required. And it also teaches us in the book of James that teachers are going to come under the greater condemnation. They're going to have a stricter judgment. Now, in some ways, this seems like a very strict judgment Because what Moses did, in comparison to so many, is relatively minor. But what makes it so important is because of the spiritual leadership that he provided for the nation of Israel. And so that when he failed in this way, it was monstrumental. We need to remember that with great privilege comes great responsibility. And we might be afraid to exercise responsibility, thinking that, well, if we're going to have a greater judgment, why in the world would we teach? If we're going to be held to a a higher account, why would we want to be a leader? And the answer is because the privileges far outweigh the dangers. Moses, we're going to see, had a unique privilege that no one else had, and that was to speak to God face to face. Uh, that, that God revealed himself to Moses in a personal way that was more than God had revealed himself to anyone else on the face of the earth. Only Jesus, who is the Son of God, had a more intimate view and understanding of the person of God. And that's what makes it so terrible that he failed in this way. So let us look at Moses' death. First, the description. Moses ascends to Mount Pisgah, Deuteronomy 34.1. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan. Moses sees the land that the children of Israel are to possess. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, To the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev, and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. 
And God speaks to Moses. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not go over there. So God is gracious to Moses and gives him a privilege that none of the others who were not allowed to enter the promised land enjoyed. There were many who did not enter the promised land, including Aaron. Uh, But none of them were able to see the promised land but Moses. So not only did he have a strict judgment, but God was gracious and merciful to him as well in allowing him to see the promised land. It also appears that God had given him an understanding even of how the land was to be divided up. It appears that he understood the descendants and, and what God was going to do. So when he gave him a glimpse of the land, I believe that it includes much more than just the fact that he was able to look out and see property. I think it has the connotation that that he was able to understand what was going to happen. God revealed to him the future and this great work that God was going to do. He allowed Moses to see what was going to take place, to encourage his heart and to give him great blessing. Secondly, the need to replace Moses was due to his death. Moses is remembered as God's servant. Now, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. And he died in Moab, as we said. He did not die in the promised land or the land of his people. And Moses died exactly as God said that he would. Verse 5, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. This was in keeping with God's will, God's plan. (coughs) And next, Moses was buried in an unknown place, presumably so that his grave would not be memorialized. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. To this day, no one knows where his grave is. Why? Well, this is conjecture on my part, but I can come up with three reasons. There could be loads more. But the first is so that the grave would not be memorialized. Um, My wife's mother, my mother-in-law, spends half of her time here in the Belizeport area, where she has a house, and the other half of the year she spends in Tennessee, where she uh, was brought up and now has uh, the home of her mother, her mother having died. And so we go and visit sometimes in Tennessee, uh, to see Bonnie's mother. And on one of those occasions, we uh, took a side trip and went to Memphis in order to see Graceland, the home of... Who? Our mind just went blank. Elvis Presley, yes, yes, Elvis Presley. Which tells me this morning, I need to apologize I got home and my my family jumped me for misspeaking about so many names this morning. And uh, so I apologize when I prayed uh, that uh, I was using wrong names. Hopefully you could put the scenario together and know who they were. I know the Lord does, but that's not an excuse. Okay. But sometimes my mind goes blank. That's why I write stuff out. But I didn't write out Elvis Presley because I didn't think I was going to forget that. But I did. But anyway, 
we went to Memphis to see Elvis Presley's house. Not himself, I don't think he really lives. I know some people do, but I don't. So anyway, we went to see his, his house, and of course, his grave is there. And I was just taken aback by the streams of people going by Elvis Presley's grave, putting flowers around there and weeping. I was kind of taken aback by that. And God did not intend for pilgrimages to be made every year to Moses' graveside so that flowers could be put around and people would weep the death of Moses. It was God's intention that his grave would not be memorialized. I think there are a number of reasons for that. Secondly, so that this would not become, quote, hallowed, unquote, ground. That somehow this would become a special place. Because the whole point of the, of the judgment of God is that Moses doesn't get to the promised land. He doesn't get to the place of blessing. He doesn't get to that promised, cherished bit of land. So they're not to go back and make something great out of this particular portion in Moab. Okay. And then, uh, thirdly, so that this would not become a celebration, for it was intended to be a lament. A lament. Just a, a quick aside, because some people ask the question, uh, commentators love to ask the question, who wrote about Moses' death in the book of Deuteronomy? And there are two popular answers. One is that probably Joshua did, and it's a forerunner to the book of Joshua. That may be a, a possibility. But I would just like to bring before you a fascinating, for me, study in unbelief. Okay, Because commentary after commentary points out the fact that Moses could not have written about his own death. Right? How would he write about his own death? Well, how did he write about creation? He wasn't there for that either. Okay, He wasn't there. On day one, day two, day three. He didn't see Adam and Eve created. God revealed that to him. I don't have any problem with God revealing to Moses his death. And he could have easily written the account. Do I think he had to have written the account? No, I don't. But I just find it rather fascinating that people get hung up over those kinds of things. Uh, put it all in balance. It's no problem either way. Moving on. E. Moses had died in good health having been able to lead the nation of Israel right up until his death. Deuteronomy 34, 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Moses did not have to retire. Moses was allowed to lead the children of Israel right up until his last day. That, to me, is a great blessing. That, to me, is a great joy. I'm one that's not looking forward to retirement. And uh, sometimes people will ask me, uh, are, are you going to retire soon? Uh, 
I hate to disappoint you. <laughs> but you're stuck with me until the elders say, I got to go. Uh, and then secondly, I'm not as old as I looked. Okay. So, uh, believe it or not, I'm not close to retirement age. Look at my wife, who some people think that I robbed by out of the cradle, but she's six months younger than I am. Okay. So, so you put it together. She looks young. I look old. You put the average together. And that's where we're at. Okay. But, but I'm not close. But I'm not looking forward to it either. But Moses was, was blessed because he was able to continue to work, as it were. He was able to continue to lead right up into the very end. F. Moses was and would be sorely missed. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. The same period of mourning was observed for Moses as was observed for Aaron. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, all the days of Israel were up for Aaron 30 days. Kind of a, a standard mourning period. However, the time to mourn Moses' death and move on and now arrived. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. And so it was time to, to move on, leave the body behind, and enter the promised land. So God graciously replaced Moses, and Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Note the qualities of Joshua are listed in this verse. Joshua was empowered, verse 9. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the Spirit. He was wise. He was filled with the Spirit of wisdom. Numbers 27, 18. A man in whom is the Spirit, lay your hand on him and uh, have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. Third, Joshua was a proven successor to Moses. Moses gave approval to Joshua's leadership. Deuteronomy 34.9, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Uh, there was no question of secession. There was no question of what was going to happen after Moses died. Long before he died, God had revealed to Moses that Joshua was to be the successor. So there was no question. They didn't have to start looking and develop a search committee to, to establish the next leader in the nation of Israel. It was well known that when Moses died, Joshua was taken over. B, Joshua had been mentored by Moses for many years. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, restrained them. And so from a very young person, Joshua was following Moses around. He was helping Moses. He was learning from Moses. He was mentored, if you will. He was shepherded by Moses. He had many experiences and became well qualified for this work that God had for him to do. Moving on to four, on page four. Joshua was respected. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. For Moses laid hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So they listened to Moses, and in listening to Moses, they then developed a respect for Joshua. And Joshua was accepted as the Lord's choice. Deuteronomy 34, 9, Now Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. They didn't just think this was Moses' doing. 
but they accepted that, that this was God's command. Numbers 27, 18. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hands on him and have him stand before Eliezer, the priest and before all the congregation and commission him in their sight. And he shall put some of your authority on him. However, Joshua was no Moses. Deuteronomy 34.10 Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Uh, there would not be another prophet like Moses until the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he becomes the, the next prophet that is referred to in the Pentateuch. But there is no one except for Jesus who is greater than Moses. That's a rather striking detail. That he was outstanding. And he was outstanding because of the privileges that he enjoyed and the way that God had used him. For notice number four, a final tribute to Moses. Moses was unique. He would be a tough act to follow. Moses was unique in his intimacy with God. Since then, no prophet has risen like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now, here we need to realize that this verse is saying, there is no one that the Lord spoke to face to face. And then we have, of course, the the account of God revealing his glory. And he says, no one can look upon my face and live. Uh, No one can see me fully. But what it is saying when when it says that, that he talked to him face to face. There was, a, there was an intimacy that Moses had, that, that God revealed himself to Moses in such a way that, that they actually dialogued back and forth. When, when you read the accounts of Moses speaking with God, One of the unique qualities is the dialogue that exists. In most of the revelatory material we have, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, the the person who is receiving the revelation is primarily a receiver. There's no discussion, no give or take. God is telling them, what to say, what to do. God is revealing to them. But with Moses, time and time again, we have interchange. We have this intercession of Moses. When God says what Moses, what he is about to do, and, and Moses intercedes for the people, and God relents, and God gives up. Uh, really unique in the way in which he was known face to face. In Exodus 34, 29 to 33, one of the results is, and it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tables of testimony were Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, and Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. 
Then Moses called them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. And afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on the Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Now, I didn't put the passage there, but in the New Testament, in the book of Corinthians, we find out that that veil was not removed because eventually his face failed to shine. Eventually, that glory faded. And it was renewed, almost like re- <coughs> excuse me, recharged when he came into God's presence. And then it would fade. And so, he did not remove the veil because his face stopped shining. In the New Testament, it says that veil still remains uh, over the children of Israel. In other words, they have not seen the fact that that Moses' glory is diminished. They haven't seen the importance of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is a, a result of, of his speaking with God face to face. Next, Moses was unique in the miracles that he performed. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land. Certainly there is no one that did the kinds of miracles that Moses did. Moses was unique in the respect that he commanded Deuteronomy 34.12 And all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and the sight of his people. And that also seems like a contradiction in terms. Because there are so many places in the Old Testament where the people do nothing but grumble about what Moses is doing. About his failure to lead them into the promised land. And why are all these terrible things happening to us? And the rebellions. And we looked at Korah and his rebellion not just too long ago. So even the most respected person gets a lot of grief. I mean, that's a great lesson to learn, too. That just because you are quote-unquote respected doesn't mean there aren't times that people find fault with what you're doing, uh, bring accusation, uh, that there are problems and difficulties. Having said that, if they're going to grumble under the leadership of Moses, who did all these miracles, and who has all this respect, should we be surprised that they're going to grumble other, under other people's leadership? Uh, a balance in these things. D. Joshua would share in that respect to some degree. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And so God is going to show the children of Israel that in the same way that God blessed Moses and enabled Moses to lead the children of Israel, that God would bless Joshua And he'd be able to lead the children of Israel. So that they would follow Joshua the way they had followed Moses. But I I want to show you an area of, again, uniqueness. E. I'll come back to the point before. But he, that is Joshua, was not exalted to the same degree that Moses was exalted. God had exalted Moses by doing things 
through Moses that were incredibly unique and distinct. So I've chosen two similar passages to help you see the contrast. Exodus 14.21 Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. This is the Red Sea. So when they got to the Red Sea, it divides because Moses spreads his hand across and he's standing where he can easily be seen by God's people and there is an association that when he stretches his hand across a mighty wind comes and the sea parts and if you think of the miracles that God gives to Moses to perform a number of them are directly related to his person for example he puts down his rod And his rod becomes a snake and he picks up his rod and it becomes a rod again. He puts his hand into his tunic and pulls it out and it's leprous. And he puts his hand inside his tunic and pulls it out and it's clean. God works through Moses in a very personal fashion. Now, let's go back to the point prior to this. Bottom of page 5D. Joshua 3.8. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters, we're talking about the parting of the Jordan River. When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And when those who carry the ark come into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the ark are dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks and all days of harvest, that the waters which are flowing down from above and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, etc., etc., etc. The point is that when the Jordan River parts, it parts when the priests who are carrying the ark of the covenant step into the waters. It's mediated through Joshua because Joshua commands them to do so. But you see, the emphasis now is on solely the work of God. This is what God is doing. This is a work of the priests and the Ark of the Covenant. And so there's a great shift in revealing the power and the direction of God. You think of the first great battle, the battle of Jericho. And they're marching around the city. And they're carrying the ark of the covenant. They blow their trumpets. The walls fall down. Joshua is not personally involved in that great victory. I mean, he's the leader. But what I'm saying is he's not throwing his hands and then the walls come down. He's not actually doing anything bodily to achieve this great end. Rather, the focal point becomes on God. 
There is no one who rises to that state of prominence that Moses did. Closing thought. It was a grace of God to his people and to Joshua himself that he worked in that fashion. Moses' downfall was that he had been repeatedly the instrument of God's activity and working. It was usually by his hand, by his activity. But when God told him to speak to the rock, he took that rod that had one, at one time had become a snake, and now had become a rod again. And rather than speaking to that rock, he said, we will give to you water, referring to himself and Aaron. And he smites that rock, taking the credit for what is taking place. And God says, that's why you can't lead these people in the promised land. Because they have to trust in me. And in the days of Joshua, there had never been a time where the people trusted God as in the days of Joshua and the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. But note Moses was a very unique individual, greatly used of God, and no one liked him before or after next to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to recognize that if Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth, would at a decisive moment struggle with pride, help us to be able to ascertain and discern our own hearts the danger of pride and how we may act in an inappropriate fashion because of pride that we may say inappropriate things because of pride. And Lord, we may dishonor you because of pride. Lord, help us to see that you work not just through quote-unquote mighty men, but Lord, you also work through people like a Joshua. Lord, may we not fall into temptation and danger of simply looking at people's abilities and attributes and skills and training and experience and say that's who's God going to use. But Lord, may we see that God uses those whom he chooses and that's really what makes the difference. Lord, be pleased to use us. And when you do, May you receive the honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.